You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 730 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It is Thursday evening. Heading into Friday morning here on the podcast, and I am back after a one-day hiatus. It's been a quiet week in some respects for the Hawks. It's, uh, they have not played a basketball game since Monday evening, but at the same time, there's actually been quite a bit of news that has come out in the last few days. Um, We'll talk about all of that here at the top of the podcast, and also later on I'll answer a mailbag question and talk about a list that made the rounds this week that made some controversy. But we'll start on the news front. There were there were some comments made by, by Lloyd Pierce at Wednesday's practice that made the rounds as well. I actually wrote a uh, co-byline piece with Zach Hood of Peachtree Hoops about this with Lloyd talking, at least in my recollection, for the first time really about the playoffs for next year. Pretty candidly, as sort of a baseline. If you didn't see those comments, go ahead and check that stuff out at peacetreehoops.com. The audio is not quite good enough to release on this podcast just because there are lots of bouncing basketballs. If you don't have you not heard that necessarily in the past at practice, often Lloyd will be the first person that talks, and that there's still lots of shooting going on in the in the uh, gym itself over at Emory. So the audio quality is pretty bad on those. Uh, I could make you could of course make it out. But in terms of a listener experience, not, not, not the best thing in the world, so go ahead and check that out in written form over at Peachtree Hoops, and there's plenty of discussion about all the stuff that Lloyd said and what John Collins said about the playoffs, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. so check that stuff out on the website. Um, as for the injury reports and updates, all that fun stuff, first things first here was the official update on Clint Capella and Scal Labissier, with the Hawks announcing earlier this week that, the, that, that both big men have progressed to introducing impact activities to their rehabilita- rehabilitation work. The two-week reevaluation timeline for them again. Um, I know famously it was two weeks the first time um, when the Hawks released that update. It was it had been it had been two weeks. Now it needs to be two more weeks, according to what the Hawks have said, and that will put them both to be reevaluated on March 18th. The Hawks have a, ha, actually have a game that day, so if you want to be as uh, as hopeful as humanly possible, that is the first day that they, that they technically could return. I suppose if you want to go by that, but. As I always say on this podcast, reevaluation does not mean return. You've seen that already with with Capella and Lemissier as they were reevaluated this week and then pushed back at least two more weeks. If they somehow played on the 18th, which again I think is highly unlikely, but even if they did, that'd be 13 games remaining. And uh, the update that the Hawks released basically rules those guys out for six more games. I have no inside info on this, but at some point you would probably reach a threshold where it might make some sense to shut them down. Frankly, for the season. I will say um, Capella told Sarah Spencer on Thursday of the AJC that um, he's not been told anything about the possibility that he actually missed the rest of the season. So I think, obviously, if you're the player, you don't want to, you don't, you don't want to be shut down necessarily. But from the Hawks' standpoint, it could make some sense. And also Capella said that he was still in pain in talking to the media on Thursday, though it was less pain than in Houston. But obviously they're, they're being very careful with him and Lemissier as well. Also, Lloyd Pierce said on Thursday that Scal is actually a little bit further ahead of Capella in terms of what the activity that they're both doing at this point in time. I wouldn't make too much of that, but something to at least point out. Um, and even if those guys come back, there will almost certainly be a minutes restriction on both of them if they were to play this year. So I'm not going to keep talking about about Capella and Lemissier on every podcast, but um, just know that I'm aware of it, and people keep. I'm sure people people will keep asking all of us. I get all that, but um, for now, you know. 
Caution is the word of the day for the Hawks, and they have no reason to push Capella, especially into the lineup, because as, as everybody, I think, understands at this point in time, Capella is someone who's under contract for three more seasons, so they have no reason to push him. Labissier, of course, you want to see him, because he'll be a free agent this summer, but still, um, in the grand scheme, you can't really push him too hard here, and uh, that is worth pointing out again on this podcast. Um, other than that, there isn't too much to update in terms of uh, real hard news. Dwayne Dedman is uh, upgraded for the weekend as we transition a little bit into looking ahead to this weekend. Walks out that back-to-back against Washington on the road and then Memphis on the road. Um, Pierce did say that it was a spirited practice on Wednesday after a day off, and they went again on Thursday. They'll be in action, of course, on Friday. They already flew up there to Washington, D.C., and they'll be three-point underdogs at at this moment against the Wizards. By the way, the Hawks have the NBA's worst road record this season at 6-25. and They've been pretty decent at home recently, I guess, except for Monday. Monday was terrible. But before that, they had they actually were 8-2 and two at home over a stretch of time. So on the road, though, it's been pretty much an adventure all season long. 6-25 kind of speaks for itself. But good to have Deadman presumably back. He's listed as probable. That's a huge thing after he missed the last four games. And I think you felt his absence pretty clearly in the middle, particularly on the defensive side of the floor, where he is just, he's of course just leaps and bounds better than Bruno and Damian Jones are at this point in time, even though Devin's not this fantastic player, he's a, he's definitely a rotation caliber big man, and he gets the same for the for those two guys at this point. Also, DeAndre Bembry was upgrade, upgraded to probable, he's not played in quite some time, so we'll see if he actually makes an appearance on the floor on Friday, both those guys are probable. Cam Reddish and Bruno Fernando also listed as probable for Friday night's game. Um, just for the record, and as a reminder here, the Hawks' uh, last matchup against the Wizards came in the first game after the Kobe Bryant and Gigi Bryant passing on that Sunday afternoon evening, and a lot of dynamics were in play for that game. Obviously, a lot of emotions going on, but the Hawks scored 152 points in that game. That was the most points that, they, that they've scored as a franchise in regulation since 1970, which is 50 years ago. That's a long time. They also had a 47-point quarter in that game, so the Wizards have the worst defense in the league. That's not even up for debate. It's not just like me analyzing they have the worst defense in the league by the numbers. They're really bad defensively, and that is something to point out here. I will say Washington is pretty good offensively, like legitimately above average. So they're obviously sacrificing defense for offense, but uh, this could be a shootout. In fact, the Hawks and Wizards at this moment in time, and I'm not sure, I'm not trying to make this all about Las Vegas, but the Hawks Wizards over under point total projection is 245 and a half points at this moment. That'd be um, pretty easily the highest of the season for the Hawks in any Hawks game. So keep that in mind. No one's projecting a, de- a defensive struggle on Friday night, but the Hawks are definitely capable of scoring big time on the Wizards. The question is whether, whether they can actually stop Bradley Beal and company, so we'll see if that happens in that game. But as of now, the Hawks are projected as minor underdogs on the road, and we'll see if they are able to bounce back after the uh, brutal loss on Monday. From there, we'll talk about this more after the game on Friday a little bit, but the Hawks then go to Memphis, of course, on Saturday night for the rematch of Monday's game. I don't think anyone expects a repeat of what happened in that game, necessarily. But I would definitely imagine the Hawks will still be underdogs on the road on Saturday in Memphis. I will say it's a break for the Hawks in some respects. That It's obviously back-to-back for Atlanta. It's also back-to-back for Memphis. They're traveling back from Dallas, so no huge advantage there for the Memphis Grizzlies. But we'll see how the Hawks play, and I'll expect some extra motivation after the way they play on Monday evening. But that's sort of a look ahead to the weekend. And uh, if nothing else, Dwayne Devin coming back, presumably. Again, he's listed, he's listed as probable. He's not he's not totally off the injury report just yet. But if he plays on Friday, that'd be a huge development for this Hawks team because he's just so much better than the options that they already have. So, with all that said, we will take a quick break and we'll come back with some more on the Hawks, including mailbag stuff and uh, ESPN's fateful list that made the rounds this week. So, hold on tight. All right, and we're back. Before we get to the uh, one mailbag question that I wanted to answer as the last thing on the podcast today, 
ESPN posted their annual top 25 players under 25 this week, and I was actually hesitant to to include that as a full-fledged item on the podcast, but because people are talking about it and asking me questions about it, I want to go ahead and dive in a little bit on that right now. I will say this, first off, it isn't that big of a deal. It's one list, and it doesn't matter in any real way, but it got a lot of attention this week when it dropped, and I understand why. Um, I think it's also interesting to talk about this kind of stuff, and frankly, sports are supposed to be fun, and arguments are fun, and lists are fun, and rankings are fun, so I get all that, and we'll dive in a little bit here on that now. Uh, this same list in 2019 did not have Trey Young at all on it, and that was controversial at the time. I think rightly so it was controversial at the time. Um, I will say a couple people on the panel didn't even have Trey listed, which is kind of funny, uh, last year. Um, John Collins, by the way, was, no, was number 19 on this list. And by the way, this is a future-facing list. That's something that I wanted to point out now before we get more further into it, is that they do say plainly that it's about future potential, not present-day performance. So keep that in mind on all this stuff, which made it even crazier for Trey Young last year to be even to be off it, considering the only argument that he really had against him last year by late February was kind of his current performance, given the fact that he had the, the struggles um, early in the year. But once he got it going, it was pretty clear that his upside was pretty high. So all that, all that to say, kind of ludicrous. In retrospect, and by the way, there were guys, it's kind of funny uh, a year later to talk about the fact that uh, guys like Lonzo Ball, Kyle Kuzma, Jamal Murray, Karis LeVert, and others were ahead of Trey Young, and just uh, kind of funny to see that in retrospect. Um, I will say this, Trey's efficiency hadn't quite stabilized yet last year, but still it was kind of weird in the moment. We've talked about it on this podcast, if you want to go back and find that, uh, it just felt weird. Anyway, the 2020 list has Trey at number eight overall. And John Collins at 24 overall. Now, my broad opinion on these is that both guys are too low. That obviously on a Hawks podcast is not going to be a huge surprise to everybody, but I think people probably know at this point, if you're listening to this podcast with any regularity, that I'm not a huge homer. I have obviously covered the team and watched the team for a long time, but you know, I, I'm pretty objective, and I think these, those guys are both too low on this list. Um, I think Young should be a few spots higher at a minimum. I'm not going to litigate all of the... 1v1 matchups here of the guys in front of him because it is a paywall list and if you want to go find it you can, you can go find it um but you know the big one I would say that's getting the most attention this week is having John Morant ahead of Trey Young um as I said before it is future facing so it's not quite as crazy to have Morant ahead but I touched on this last week I think Young is pretty easily the better player right now of the two and I disagree with having Morant ahead of Young so that's that's as plainly as I can put it I do you know, give them a little bit more leeway because it is future facing. If it was in the moment right now, there's just no argument for Moran over Young at this moment. In the future, obviously Moran is a little bit bigger, more athletic, all that stuff. I still take Trey pretty comfortably, frankly. I don't think that Morant is likely to be as good of an offensive player as Trey Young is right now at any point, if that makes sense. I don't think Morant's offensive upside is as high as Trey already is good at the moment offensively. Now, that is the biggest part, big, biggest part of this, because offense, in my opinion, is more important than defense. And I'd say that as someone who likes defense more than most people do, but offense is more important, especially at that position, than defense is. I get that Morant's a better defensive prospect with his size and his tools, but give me Young in that matchup, and I think it's pretty clear, honestly, based on the offense and the fact that he's already doing what he's doing this season. Um, also, the other guy that I wanted to point out is it's weird to me that Young would be behind Donovan Mitchell. I candidly am not a huge Mitchell guy, so that's, that's probably part of this, but... I don't really think there's any argument for it. I think offensively, Trey is already significantly better than Mitchell, uh, and he's two years younger. Uh, obviously, defensively, Mitchell is a better player right now, and he'll be a better player for the duration, but give me Young on that one as well. So anyway, those two, it was kind of weird um, to say to see Trey that, Trey that low, and I think Hawks fans were rightly bothered by it. 
part of that's just kind of being a fan, but also as someone who's takes a step back from it, I think Trey was just too low. So there you go on that. Um, as for Collins, I think tw- I think Collins at 24 is almost more ridiculous and more ludicrous than where Young is, frankly. I think it already looks strange to see him dropping from last year. And I think, you know, the list does change year to year in terms of who's eligible and who isn't. But just the optics of that, because Collins is a much, much better basketball player right now than he was a year ago. Um, I know offensively, some of the numbers are kind of similar in some ways. But, you know, February, he made this huge leap. And no one's sustainable. Like, his numbers in February were not sustainable for really anybody. That's how efficient he was. He was incredible in February. But still, even if you take a step back for the full season, Collins is averaging 21-10 and 10 on 65% true shooting. And he has a top 20 in the league block rate defensively. Um, to have him behind guys like Michael Porter and Jamal Murray and DeAndre Ayton even um, and Zach Levine, I don't really see that, frankly. I know eight was the number one overall pick, but if you just look at what those guys are able to do right now in the NBA, I think Collins is a better prospect at this point. Um, and, you know, Murray's not even close. Porter, I, you know, whatever. I'm not a huge Porter guy. I guess he's, I guess the upside there, if you want to say is higher, I, I guess that might be true, but give me Collins pretty comfortably and Levine, same thing. Um, I have Collins also ahead of D'Angelo Russell, who's on this list, like 10 spots higher than Collins. I think, you know, again, I'm, I'm lower on Russell than most, but I don't really see the argument for him either over Collins. All that fun stuff. I'm not saying that Collins should be top eight or top 10 or anything, but I think he's pretty clearly like five, six, seven spots too low on this list. So I don't want to make a huge Homer thing about this, but people were asking me to sort of weigh in on my opinion. I wrote about it a little bit on Twitter, but I want to expand it a little. And I think that, you know, Young should be higher. Collins should be higher. No big surprise there. I think they're just kind of treated too low on this list. And uh, if anything, I think Collins' ranking is even worse than Young. So there you go on that. Okay, last thing on the podcast today, and we're sort of sort of in midweek mode, by the way. If you missed it, uh, I, did an, I did a fun podcast with Nikias Duncan on the last show. Um, Nikias has covered the Hawks some. He's, a, he's just a general NBA reporter for the most part, but a fun conversation there that I think people want to check out. So that was my last one in between games. And the next one after this will be after the game on Friday. But anyway, um, the mailbag question that I wanted to answer came from that podcast from Nikias, and um, the question came from a listener named Jordan who asked a follow-up to something we talked about on that show. And he says, You mentioned the roster for next year, and it didn't really hit me that the Hawks have so few players under contract. I know they have a lot of cap space, but how do they fill out the team with only this many players? And by the way, this became even more interesting. This is me talking now um, after what Pierce said about uh, kind of the guys in the locker room and the guys who were returning and the playoff stuff this week. Um, the Hawks only have nine guys under contract for next season. One of those is a non-guaranteed deal for Brandon Goodwin. So that's not even like a guarantee that, to be to be there. I, I do think that, by the way, Goodwin as an aside is only, only guaranteed for about, for about $100,000. And he could be um, released without too much pain. I think I, I would probably project him to be on the team next year. But even then, if you want to say it's like eight and a half guys, that's probably more accurate. Um, and Bruno Fernando is number eight on that list as well. So they don't really have like all these established players. They have seven guys who you can definitely say will be part of the rotation next year coming back if they're still on the roster. But it isn't as if the Hawks have this huge, uh, you know, locked in team for next year. So that, that goes to Jordan's question. I wanted to sort of break that down a little bit. Um, and for the record, the Hawks have these are the guys they have in their contract for next year. It's Young and Goodwin at point guard. It's Herter, Reddish, and Hunter are your only wings coming back for next year, for sure. And then you have Collins, Capella, Deadman, and Fernando. So I think pretty obviously they're going to have to make some wing, some moves on the wing. That's how you fill up the roster, number one. I think it's conceivable 
that Goodwin is the backup point guard. I'd also expect him to add another option there, frankly, so that Goodwin's probably best suited in that third point guard sort of utility role that he's currently in right now. I think, you know, wouldn't be the end of the world if, he's, if he was your backup, but ultimately they'd probably sign another guard of some sort. But you obviously cannot go into the season with three wings, <laughs> and they're going to need more shooting. That's something we've been talking about a lot on this podcast for basically the entire season, even, go, even going, going back to the summer. Names like Joe Harris and Davis Bertans are going to make appearances on this podcast and other places. They'd make a lot of sense. They also, in addition to just pure shooting on the wing, which they they absolutely need, they need someone that can play the four, probably one, maybe even two more guys, because, you know, Collins is your starting four next year, and Hunter can play a little bit of four, but you're going to have to sign a backup power forward at some point um, that's more of a pure four or someone that can play there more often. So that's, that's that's a need as well. I think center is not exactly a need area unless they move on from somebody, but at the same time, they might, they might want to sign a guy on the roster for depth or on a two-way contract, somebody that can play some center minutes in the event of injuries because as, we, as we've seen this year, right now, for instance, with Devin and Capella out the last few games, they've been pretty short at center with only Jones and Fernando on the team. And now, you know, you have Collins that can play some center. I, I get all that, but going back to the power forward discussion, you're just going to need somebody else in the front court somewhere. So that's another thing that they probably will have to sign along the way. So the Hawks only have one draft pick that's a real pick this year. You know, the last few years they've had these multiple, you know, top 30 picks. This year they have their own pick, which is nice. Of course, it'll be a good pick probably. Um, I think if they make that if they make that pick, they'll have a player that's going to play some next year. But in this draft class, even number one overall, I guess if you were number one overall and you picked Anthony Anthony Edwards, he's going to play because that's just going to gonna be what happens. But if they're picking seven or eight, it is very possible that the guy they pick there is more of like a fringe rotation guy next year. I guess they have to play him eventually, but um, you know, no one in this class is going to be a guaranteed contributor next year as a rookie. That's uh, that's kind of the nature of the beast when you're talking about most rookies. But yeah, keep that in mind as well. And you know, they have the one other pick in this draft. It's Houston's second round pick, and that pick is going to be somewhere in the low 40s or high 50s. That is not a player that's going to probably help you, and may not even be a pick that they actually make. So, all that to say. You have eight and a half guys under contract right now, maybe nine, maybe eight, and only one pick that, that projects to definitely be on the roster next year. So that takes you to nine. That means you're going to have to sign five or six guys, uh, sign or trade four, five or six guys in the future. So filling out the roster, they have a lot of cast base, as the question sort of notes. It's uh, you know the most in the league, but you know they're going to have to be judicious and fill out the roster in some way because you know even you know going into last year. They had some spots to fill, but they had picks and they had, you know, it wasn't like they had this clear roster overall to happen. And right now, you know, it could be half their roster that they're going to have to add between the end of the season and next year. That's kind of interesting territory. They're going to have to, you know, do a lot of maneuvering. But the one thing that they're going to have to absolutely do is sign some wings and forwards. That is, you know, it might sound weird to say, frankly, that it's the positional focus of the offseason after they added Herder, Reddish, and Hunter in the last two drafts. But just the sheer math, they're going to have to get some shooting, and the best place to do that is usually on the wing. And then beyond that, someone that can play the four, um, some at least some. Uh, even, you know, I, I would say probably you know preferably someone that can play the three and the four, kind of give you that versatility. You know, Bertans would be a nice option as a four, as a four man there. But even if it's someone on the lower end and they strike out on the guys they actually want, just getting depth and doing that is the best way they're going to fill out that roster. So that doesn't answer the question with a ton of specifics, but I just wanted to point out here. That you're going to the, you're going into the offseason with exactly three wings on your roster, and an NBA roster probably needs six wings on it um, at least. 
especially if you're especially if you're counting someone that can play the four, six or seven wings. So they're gonna have to do some stuff on that position, and we'll see how they handle that in the future. And you know, they have they have free agents that, that, that they could resign. Obviously, there are players that could return to the team that are hitting they're hitting the market between you know Jeff Teague on a, on a cheap deal maybe can come back as a, as a backup point guard. Um, Scott Bessier could come back. Um, the Hawks have already talked about that a little bit as a potential reunion spot. I think uh, it wouldn't blow me away if Trebion Graham, for the minimum, was someone that brought back. I mean, you know, it's obviously could happen. Vince is going to retire. I think Damian Jones will probably move on. And Bembry, you know, we'll see. But it's just one of those things. They're going to have a lot of stuff to do. And, you know, the cap space gets a lot of attention uh, and usually associates that with, you know, guys making a lot of money. But the Hawks are going to have to do a lot of different things this summer. And I think, um, you know, if you're if you're a betting person, it probably is smart to bet on, the, on them not giving out a single massive free agent deal and probably just going more piecemeal and maybe targeting a couple of, you know, starting caliber players, but on like $15 million, $15 million a year contract, something like that. Um, and hopefully get some shooting along the way. Cause that's probably the biggest need they still have on this team. Okay. With all that said, the Hawks go into that back to back this weekend. We'll have full coverage of it on the podcast as we always do Friday night in DC, Saturday night in Memphis. And by the way, next week, it doesn't mean a whole lot because this team has had consistency issues all season long, but if you want to find the easiest schedule week of the season for Atlanta, it is next week. They have home games against <laughs> home games against Charlotte, New York, and Cleveland in, in one week. And uh, yeah, if there's ever a possibility the Hawks will be favored three times in a row, that is that week. So we'll see what happens there. But before we get to that, they have to take care of business this weekend. And honestly, if you're a Hawks fan, a split would be pretty good in this back-to-back, considering you know, you know neither opponent is unbeatable by any means. But you're, you're talking about two road games on the road, and, and as I said before, this is a team that's six and twenty-five on the road this season. So getting a win somewhere this weekend would be would be nice, and we'll see how uh, how much of a positive effect Dwayne Demon has if he's able to return on Friday. So. Thank you for listening to the podcast, everybody. I appreciate everybody diving in this week. And my apologies for the lack of show yesterday, but hopefully you guys will manage and we'll do the back-to-back on Friday and Saturday. Please subscribe to the podcast. Please check out the last show I did with Nikias Duncan. Please tell a friend about the show. Leave five-star feedback if you enjoy the program. And we'll see everybody again after the game on Friday evening.